0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to After the Last Dance. I'm your host, Russ Bankson. I'll be joined by co-host Alex Wong. Before we get started, I just wanted to give a shout out to the Soul Savvy team for giving Alex and I this space to chat about Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. Soul Savvy is a sneaker platform and community that provides you with the tools and resources you need to beat the bots and successfully purchase the products you want for retail. For more details, please check out soulsavvy.com. S O L E S A V Y.com. Hey guys, this is Russ Bankson. We're back with After the Last Dance Season 2, aka After After the Last Dance, aka No More Scott Burrell. This episode, we're going to sort of range around and talk about sneakers. Sneakers were sort of an underlying thing throughout the episodes. We obviously had the one entire episode or a lot of it dedicated to Michael signing with Nike, and then just lots of little things. I mean, I don't know about you, Alex. I was always excited to see Mike when he was sitting in his locker, pulling his laces up to lace up a new pair of shoes, you know, with the, with the laces through the first hole and like holding them all the way above his head to make sure both sides are equal. It's like, oh, Mike's like all of us.
1: Yeah. First of all, Russ, are you a big sneakers guy? I never knew this about you.
0: Oh yeah. I guess I should have mentioned that a little bit, a little bit. I get a pair here and there, you know, air jordan was was sort of a thing for me
1: and and you're working on a whole book about it too right see here' yeah, there's a yeah, free promo yeah. i
0: mean i'm trying to trying to get through pandemic brain to actually get some work done and tell a history of basketball and fifteen sneakers. if my editor is listening to this, there is progress but yeah it's 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 been a it's been it's been tough
1: yeah ap- apologies to the editor listening to this uh <laughs> Russ and I are just going to be recording podcasts from now until the end of time. Uh, squeezing and, and every bit of Michael Jordan content out that weekend. I'll
0: just have to transcribe some of those instead. But you mentioned the lacing
1: of the sneakers, which um, you know I was fascinated by. Um, you know, I think there was a game um, in the finals uh, when Michael was lacing up his Jordan Thirteens, and his last game as a Bull at Madison Square Garden, he was lacing up his own uh, Jordan Ones. And I mentioned this to you because, because you know, you've been in NBA locker rooms, and like I remember, you know, the I guess the best example I have was uh, when DeMar DeRozan was here in Toronto, and you know, he was a huge Kobe Kobe guy uh, with the Kobe sneakers. Like before the game, a, a trainer would just go up to him and basically just open a giant shoe bag, and he would tell him which shoe that he wanted, and the trainer would just go to work on lacing them up for him. So it was fascinating to me to see Michael Jordan lacing his own shoes up.
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel like I guess that just wasn't as much of a thing in the 80s, like in the 80s, it was up to you to lace your own shoes and, you know, handle all your pregame business. And I assume for Mike, you know, probably did become a little bit of a ritual. I do think at some point, and I'm pretty sure this is right, that when Jordan started, quote unquote, factory lacing their shoes, that was in part so he and others wouldn't have to lace them up themselves when they took them out of the box and they would just be ready to go. But yeah, I mean, I go back to that scene of him lacing up the Jordan 1s in New York and like, he actually looked happy doing it. You know, I think that took him back a little bit, right up to the point when he laced them up and realized, oh my God, these are like a size too small and they hurt and they're terrible.
1: Yeah, it's um, I'll still ne- never get over the fact that he was bleeding through them during the <sighs> entire game. Does this mean, you know, I know there's been a whole band story around the original Jordan 1s. I feel like Jordan 1's should actually be banned now. Like, PJ Tucker, I know he's got a great rare collection of sneakers. Like, if he's out there balling, hooping in Jordan 1's, um, I feel like the team's got to find him now. He can't be (laughs) out there bleeding.
0: I've seen a couple guys do it. Like, uh, who is it? Montrez Harrell, I think, came out in a pair of Shattered Backboards. To match the Buffalo Braves Clippers throwbacks. A couple guys have done it here and there. I mean, I I think the shoes have kind of banned themselves at this point. You know, I feel like if you're gonna play in something older, you can certainly find something older that's more comfortable than those. I do wonder with Jordan, I think I think the bleeding was more due to them being too small rather than to any like inherent build of the shoe. And I gotta say, like the sneaker thing kicked off almost immediately in the series, in the pre-credits of the first episode with him with the airships and the pair of Jordan 1s coming out of the duffel. I know I talked about it when we wrapped up that episode, but man, that should have been the, the sort of beginnings pack for Jordan brand. They should have sold you a pair of airships and a pair of Jordan 1s in like an old Nike duffel. Like that would have been incredible.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, uh, Nike and Jordan brand did do two releases during this 10 part documentary uh the jordan 5 fire reds and what did they release there's another release the the flint Flint 13s right so they were releasing them a week um ahead of its actual release date and you talk about that pack you know with with airships and the jordan ones i feel like you know in an alternate universe you know they could have tied a pair of sneakers or a pack of sneakers to each of these episodes and could have released them to the public do you think do you think that is something that should they they should have explored or maybe not because it would have you know probably looked like this whole thing was an ad right
0: yeah i mean i think it could have been cool but at the same time like you start to look like is this a is this a nike event so i don't know i mean i think two drops was fine it would have been nice instead of like instead of having those particular shoes be the ones like it would have been nice to do like a a 14 drop during episode 10 and maybe a, you know, a black and red or a red, black and white Jordan one during the episode when he signs with Nike. I actually wonder though, you know, this aired what almost two months earlier than it was supposed to. I wonder if Nike slash Jordan had things planned to release in June to coincide with this series that they just couldn't, you know, you could release the series faster, but redoing your entire sneaker release schedule, I don't know if that would have been possible. So, you know, I wonder if there were things that were slated to drop with this series in June that just weren't ready yet.
1: Yeah. And you know, the shoe that, michael's wearing in the interviews was an unreleased pair of jordan's center court sneakers right which I, th- I think jordan brand uh seeded out to, to a bunch of influencers last week and you can see in the last episode right before um they talk about getting together reading michael's poem and burning it in a coffee can they like pan in on on the sneakers like at a certain point like when i'm re-watching the the 10 episodes you can see like there are very specific like sneaker shots that they do throughout the series
0: yeah and clearly jordan lost our addresses right i mean unless there's something you're not telling me i don't think either of us were considered influencery enough to get those um although yeah
1: all i'm saying all i'm saying is you know if if edison chen can can get a pair you know i should be on that asian influencer list
0: i agree i agree I, I i don't know what happened there there's a lot of people i saw post those where i was like really but you know another time another place But yeah, I mean, they definitely did focus on the shoes a lot. And there were moments when I found myself just looking for the shoes to see. I mean, there was that scene early on when they showed Jordan a Carolina practice and he's practicing in Adidas, you know, having heard all the time that Adidas was his personal preference growing up. I kind of expected it a little bit, but it was still fascinating to see that, you know, or... You know when he wore ships compared to when he wore Jordan ones, and how long it took them to be ready. I also appreciated the fact that it sort of pulled a lot of things out of the woodwork. You know, you get millions of people sitting watching a series on Jordan. Obviously, Jordan stuff is going to uh, come more to the forefront. So we had Aaron Goodwin pull out that pair of red and black airships that I don't know if he had showed off before. You know that that was kind of a a grail popping up that I hadn't seen. We had Shuseum pulling out his pair of player sample Jordan 1s that I think sold at Sotheby's for 500 grand. Is that what they went for? And apparently there's currently a pair of the Jordan 7s he wore in the gold medal game up for auction as well. I had seen them up to like, I think it was like $25,000. I assume they're going to finish much, much higher than that. But it'll be interesting to see, you know, now that – attention for Jordan stuff has peaked how many things like that get pulled out of people's closets
1: yeah no definitely want to talk into get into the price spike that is happening in the market it's funny you mention those um Olympic shoes because you know we both know NBA photographer longtime NBA photographer Nathaniel Butler um he's one of the best you guys should follow him uh Natalie N-A-T-L-Y photo on Instagram. He's been posting a lot of throwback Michael Jordan photos. Basically, he followed him his entire career, and he had told me a few weeks ago that he had actually had a room uh, pretty much next to Michael in Barcelona. And on the last night at the Olympics, Michael was like, "Hey, do you want some of these shoes? I'm getting rid of them." And Nat was like, "Nah, uh, my luggage is already filled. Like, I bought all these souvenir T-shirts for my wife," uh, which leads to the question, "Nat, you should have just, you know, bought an extra duffel bag." And yeah, he said, I mean- "No." Yeah, <laughs> that's like your retirement fund right there. I mean, good God. And he texted me the link to those pair of uh, Jordan Ones selling for like five hundred and sixty thousand a week ago. Basically, being like, "Fuck, like this could have been me." Uh, would, so shout outs, shout fans. outs to Nat. Shout outs to Nat, man. That that would um, which brings me to the other question: is if if there's a pair of shoes selling for that much that you own,
0: is there anything that would prevent you from not selling it? Mm-hmm. God. Yeah, it would be tough. I don't know. I mean, I guess if you have like some sort of strong personal connection or a very, very, very high paying job, you know, maybe you hang on to it. I don't know, like, you know, what all those Bulls peripheral guys, or even the more so the Birmingham Barons peripheral guys, you know, still have. I know there was a story recently about one of his Barons teammates. I forgot where this was, where I read it, but who had, whether he didn't have his bats or something happened to him, and he came the next day and there were three Michael Jordan bats in his locker. And, uh, you know, what would one of those trade for in the open market at this point? Like a game-used Michael Jordan bat. But, I mean, as far as game-worn Jordan shoes, the guy wore a new pair every game, and he played for a long time, you know, and there were certain games when he would switch at halftime. I know famously, I think it was the 97 finals, or no, it was the 98 finals with the 13s. He would wear low tops in the first half and switch to high tops for the second half because he wanted the extra support. You know, he wanted sort of the, the freedom early and then the support late. So there are no shortage of Jordan-worn Air Jordans out there, but obviously certain ones have, you know, a lot more value than others you know the flu game shoes i forgot what they went for they sold not long ago it wouldn't surprise me if they got resold soon because i'll bet they would sell for a lot more now if inline stuff was literally doubling in value during this series i can only imagine what some of those prominent game worn shoes would go for yeah and shout outs to
1: i believe it was a utah jazz ball boy who got those shoes because he's got him
0: applesauce
1: Yeah, got him applesauce at halftime and was always helpful to him. And, you know, this story has been told, but I think he was standing in the locker room after, and and one of the Bulls trainers was just going to grab Michael's shoes. And he got really nervous because he was like, man, like Michael had told me I could have these shoes, but what am I going to do? Run up on Michael right now after he just had the flu game. Mm -hmm. And Michael was like, no, 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 they're for him. So uh, Michael took care of him and, you know, wish I was a ball boy in the 90s. I'd be asking everybody for shoes. I'd be asking like Lafonso Ellis. It's funny, like Michael
0: kept a fair amount of shoes from games. You know, I know we talked to him about it in the 90s at Slam. Like, he apparently kept like the 69 point pair against the Cavs and, you know, certain other pairs. But I'm actually surprised he didn't keep the flu game ones for himself. You know, you would think that would have been, although maybe that was a game he just wanted to forget about.
1: Yeah, I think the color scheme might have reminded him of the Pizza Hut pizza that he ate, so he never wanted to look at it again, is possible. Um, I
0: if, speaking of which, I wonder if he got a pair of those Pizza Hut pie tops. They should have sent him a pair of those.
1: I would have loved to see, like, we were talking about whether Nike and Jordan Brand should have done more releases during the doc. Um, I think Adidas should have tackled this head on and released some, like, black and red, like, special, like, Adidas superstars, like, just pure, like, Chicago colorways of their shoes
0: that would have free been, that would free be free idea free idea that would have been fascinating if they, if they did like a shock drop during it you know um i i guess again like them moving the the release date up a month and a half probably threw off a lot of things but yeah i don't i don't know if adidas would have done that
1: and converse was getting they were in the conversation right in the episode where you know um, it was discussed of how michael ended up with nike feel like it would have been a good opportunity, too, for, for Converse to bring back some of their old basketball shoes and things of that
0: nature. Or, yeah, just re-release, like, the Bird and Magic weapons again, or, you know, the the shoes that Bird and Magic wore in the Olympics. You know, it was kind of funny, like, after Air Jordan happened and was obviously a huge phenomenon and changed everything, Converse still didn't really, like, rush to change their model. You know, the, the weapon happened, and, like, sure, that was a... Uh, you know, certainly a more literally colorful shoe than a lot of the stuff they'd done in the past. But at the same time, you know, they didn't really race to give magic a signature shoe or or bird or like, you know, find whoever the the quote unquote, next Jordan would be. It still took a little bit for the whole signature idea to sort of spread throughout.
1: Yeah, it's incredible looking back at that converse weapon commercial, which I know has been shown so many times, just the star power that is in it. Like, I can't imagine actually that ever being rivaled again. Like you're talking about like what, five, six hall
0: of famers in that. I also wonder like if going back to that, like if any of those guys were like, you want me to do what, you know, like they all seemed so into it. It it seems like they, they, they were really accepting of the whole thing, even though some like Larry Bird weren't going to make rap their second career. Yeah, was that a, was that commercial written by Common?
1: Or, or no, I don't think it was born yet. Right? <laughs> um, uh, speaking of that Air Jordan themed episode, I know you wanted to talk about too how it was fascinating that no one except for Nike was willing to center an entire line around a, a single player at the time, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's funny, you know, you look at it now and Nike is this massive multi-billion dollar global company, but, you know, in 1984, they were relatively small. No one had really had... A lot of success in basketball up to that point. Converse had dominated basketball through the whole early years. You know, Adidas came in with the pro model and the superstar in the 60s. And that took over basically, you know, they got a bunch of guys wearing their stuff. You had pro kids trickling around. Converse ended up stepping it up with Dr. J and stuff like that. And up to that point, Nike had made some inroads. The Air Force One was probably the first ultra-modern basketball shoe when it came out in 82, but they still had kind of a limited roster. You know, it's like Moses Malone and Jamal Wilkes and guys like that. They were, they were starting to do things, but that 84 draft represented a real opportunity for them and a real chance to, to break into basketball in a major way. And, you know, they, they debated internally, do we, do we go all in on one guy or do we continue doing what we're doing and bring in a bunch of other guys? And they decided to to go all in.
1: Yeah, you know, um, the director of the series, Jason Hare, was actually asked on another podcast about whether, you know, he considered bringing in more voices into that part of the documentary. Um, specifically, he was asked about Sonny Ficaro. And he said that he felt like, you know, once they had told the story of how, Dolores had convinced Michael to take the meeting with Nike that that was really the only part of the narrative that they were interested in telling.
0: Um, I'm wondering what you think about that. Sonny would have been a good voice to have. You know, I think Sonny's a guy whose influence really spread throughout basketball and sneakers, like from Jordan all the way through up and through LeBron and started earlier with his Dapper Dan classics. And, you know, he did these all-star games. Sonny, it's interesting. Like, I think Sonny's a very important voice, but I think not having Sonny almost makes sense because he always has been sort of that more background guy, you know, like the the underground sort of unofficial person, even though he was responsible for so much. I love the fact that they got Howard White for that, even that small part. I mean, H is just such a classic guy to talk about that stuff. And, you know, it was probably better to stay away from a lot of the the more technical stuff, you know, whether it's Peter Moore about the design or... Yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of ways you can go with that story. And at that point, it was probably best to keep it as linear as possible.
1: Yeah, you know, on, on our other recap episode, we talked about, you know, storylines that we would have loved to see more of or storylines that weren't included... You know, so I'll pose the same question to you, but I guess just from a sneaker perspective, like do you think there are other uh, specific storylines involving the Jordans, Um, you know, maybe talk about how Tinker, you know, and his relationship with Michael early on um, at Nike and things like that. Do you think there was any other things that you would have liked to see in in the 10 hours or do you think they kind of covered it?
0: There could have been a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, I would have liked to have heard like Tinker in in, uh, 88, with the Jordan three and kind of how that convinced Mike to stay with Nike when, you know, some of the people he trusted had left. I would have also been curious to even have a little bit of it spread into the space jam moment. You know, the fact that Tinker kept going on the 11 even though Michael had said he was retired. Phil Knight thought Michael was retired. I mean, they, they didn't have real expectations of him coming back, but Tinker was like, well, I'm still going through with this. So I, I think there was a moment there. They touched a little bit on Spike Lee, obviously, and and some of the ads. But, yeah, it would have been nice to space it out maybe a little bit better. Again, though, at the same time, you start to risk, okay, does this feel like a Nike documentary? Or, you know, are we getting too Jordan heavy? Another thing, something I would be curious about, though, like Scotty Pippen started his career wearing a Via. And a Via had a, actually a really good roster of sort of – superstars to be between Pippen, Drexler, John Stockton, just a ton of other guys. And I'd be curious to know how much influence Jordan had in getting Pippen on Nike. I would imagine at least some, but uh you know that that's sort of an angle I would have liked to have heard a little bit from or even, you know, Dennis Rodman winding up on Converse. You know, it's like the you have this brand who obviously when Michael was about to sign, was so caught up in tradition and so caught up in doing business as usual. You know, how do you go from that to signing Dennis Rodman?
1: Yeah, you know, the Pippin one was a uh, one of my favorite shoes to hoop in growing up. Um, when I was one of the highest ranked players in the country. No, just kidding. Um, so that was fun. <laughs> Um, You know, so, you know, Nike, you know, hit me up, man. Hit me up. That's all I'm doing. I'm only doing this podcast with Russ to to Cloud Chase. There you Um, go. I'll I'll be dropping my full address at the end of this episode. (laughs) Um, So it's funny because I was watching this and thinking too, you know, I don't know if you agree with me. I think you will. Is is that, you know, for, for me and maybe for you, you know, growing up and watching Jordan and seeing him wear some of these models in game, like that's what made the shoes cool, right? Like seeing him, um, you know, wear the Concords, um, you know, the flu games, you know, and obviously, you know, what the flu game meant and a lot of these other shoes. Like that's why um, a lot of these Jordan models were cool to me growing up and still are today. I'm wondering if... And I've talked to some people in their, like, 20s or even early 30s, people who might not be that into sneakers, who, who came to me and was like, hey, like, after watching The Last Dance, I kind of get why, you know, people get so hyped up about his shoes now. Um, do you think, you know, The Last Dance will have, like, a permanent impact? Like, we can talk about the temporary impact in a sec, but do you think it'll have a permanent impact maybe on a younger generation and maybe kind of rejuvenate the coolness of Air Jordans? I don't know if I would
0: say a permanent impact, but I I would say that it sort of gave another generation a look at what made them cool to begin with. It's true that no, no matter what an Air Jordan in particular looked like, it didn't really pop until you saw Mike wearing it on court. I mean, you know, it's funny probably to the people who know Michael Jordan as the baggy jeans, 17 button suit jacket guy. But. You know, Mike made stuff look cool, whether it was the Bulls jersey, the Jordans, the socks, the the sweatband on his forearm. Like, you know, he was so iconic in and of himself that, like, you couldn't help but want stuff after seeing him wear it. So for a lot of people who missed out on that in real time, getting to see this 10-part run, you know, and getting to see him wear a lot of this different stuff, I didn't go back and keep track. but. I would imagine between the montages and everything, like we saw him in every single Air Jordan he wore during his Bulls run. So it just gives everyone another chance to be like, damn, that's crazy. Like that's, I want this because of that, not because of like a Travis Scott remake of something. And it's funny too. Like I recently reread, like it was a Iverson thing And Iverson talked about when he got on the court with Jordan for the first time, he was like, damn, like that's Michael Jordan. Like he didn't seem real to him. And there was someone else. I forget whether it was Tracy McGrady, but I've seen that story more than once with a player, you know, getting on court to play against Mike and being like, Oh wait, he's a real person. Cause just everyone was so used to cause he was everywhere, you know? So I wonder if that, sort of changes it a little bit too where it's like people who knew mike now is just basically the jumpman logo could actually get a glimpse of like oh yeah this is like a real dude
1: yeah and and you know i think it's it's an obvious point but i think it's a it's a really good point that you make too about how everything just looked cool when you saw michael wearing it um just just seeing you know the, the older footage of him like you know in the bread fours or the eights or anything like like he just made everything look cool and i do really wonder if just seeing those montages and those footages will have kind of younger people looking up like the history of of the different jordans that were released at the time and and what it means so we have seen um a huge jump in the market price in jordans and specifically uh, you know the, the the models which he wore uh, during the final seasons with the bulls. Um, I think for example, the last shot 14s, um, doubled in price, um, in terms, uh, on stock X, um, from the beginning to the end of the documentary. And we were just told before we went on air that a pair sold for like 500 bucks at like 11 PM of, of when, uh, episode 10 aired. What do you make of all this? Uh, just a general spike, uh, in the prices and models that a lot of people weren't
0: really going after the past few years? I mean, it kind of makes sense because you see something and, you know, just then you want it and you're like, the fact that you can buy anything at any time now, you know, makes it easy to jump on stuff like that. The tragic sort of flip side to that was when Kobe passed away. I mean, every single Kobe shoe just launched into the stratosphere as far as prices went. You know, I think, I think we'll see sort of a a downturn correction on those. And I, I think probably the same with, with Jordans, like, you know, I think wherever they end at will be higher than it was before the last dance, but it won't be maybe as high as, you know, the exact moment we saw most of it on screen. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if 14, the last shot 14s upticked again when they showed game six the other night. Just that whatever you see the latest, you're going to realize like, oh, damn, I don't have those. For me personally, I still have a pair of the original... Last shot 14s buried in storage somewhere. And I I'm kind of I'm kind of scared to pull them out because I'll bet they are toast by now. I seem to recall I wore them a bunch back then, so they weren't in the best of shape when I put them away. And I probably haven't seen them in I don't know if it's 10 years, but it's close. So uh it would actually surprise me if they're still wearable. But I know I have like Pippin twos put away too. Those were those are one of my favorite shoes, personally, at least from a stylistic standpoint. I didn't really play in those that much, but uh, the white red Pippin two was one of the first shoes I actually doubled up on. For me, that was something that didn't last very long because if I loved a shoe that much, I paradoxically didn't wear it enough to kill it. So I basically never got to the second pair. So I I stopped with the second pair thing pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, and you know it's interesting because obviously. You know, we've talked and a lot about the the Jordan 1 and kind of how much hype that sneaker has. You know, more of a general question maybe w- with the Jordans. You know, if, if we're looking at like the Jordan 1 to the 14, do you see a particular model that, that might get a bit of resurgence, whether it's from the last dance or, or just, just in general?
0: It's a good question. I mean, I feel like virtually every Jordan that Mike wore during his run has kind of gotten its due. Um, at one point or another and there's been enough he did enough things in each one where like they they all really have their own story I'd be curious I guess to see reactions to ones that haven't been retro recently when they come back the next time the two obviously for me has always been a big one I've always loved the Jordan 2 and uh, you know I feel like it's never really gotten maybe it's complete due but other than that, you know, it's like most of those he wore for championships. Obviously, the 9 and 10 have always been a little, I think they've picked up more recently, even though he only wore those for very short periods of time. The 9 only as a baseball player. Maybe the 14 picks back up again. I feel like the last time the 14 came back, it wasn't necessarily like super, super, super sought after. What's interesting to me is how far removed we are from all those bullshoes shoes now. You know, the 14 he wore 22 years ago. And you go back to that game in his final season when he wore the one. At that point, and I, I brought this up, I think, when we recap that episode, but the Jordan 1 was only a 13-year-old shoe at that point. It seemed ancient. But you look at that now, that's the equivalent of wearing a shoe from 2007. And I haven't I, – I can't off the top of my head name a 2007 shoe, but that's – if someone wore a shoe from two thousand and seven now, you'd hardly look twice.
1: Yeah. So what you're saying, Russ, is they should um, put a reverse swoosh on every single retro Jordan model and do a Travis Scott collab, so you can go on a uh, 19 page thread Twitter rant.
0: Oh my God! The 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 like the Travis Scott Last Dance pack of 14 sneakers. <laughs> it's like um, his last dance off stage, like at his final fun. concert. they should do i mean honestly like if you gave me asked me like what i think you know i would love to see a release version at least in even in super limited form of that black and red airship the one that aaron goodwin has with air jordan on the heel with like the black and red laces you know do a super limited launch of that you already did the cut with the airship that came out in that pack like because Jordan's airships were more of a mid than the release versions especially after Goodwin posting it and after this series I mean I feel like so many more people are aware that that was even a thing and I, I wouldn't get a pair because I can never get through on sneakers and I finally stopped looking at the app because all it is is something else on my phone to make me mad and I already have Twitter so yeah, I don't think I would even try, but I, I can only imagine how fast that would go.
1: Yeah, Can you imagine if Michael didn't have his own sneaker line and he had to be on sneakers trying to get shoes, how quickly he would take that as a personal slight? <laughs> <laughs> He'll be like, okay, fine, no problem. This is what I noticed too Rewatching the documentary. Every time he said, okay, fine, no problem, it was a precursor to him dropping 35 points on either Dan Marley, Le Bradford Smith, or whoever didn't say hi to him at a restaurant.
0: Yeah, him saying something was a problem was, is the surest sign that something was, in fact, a huge problem. Oh, Generally so, a huge problem for somebody else,
1: as you pointed <laughs> out. And the other thing, too, so um, I pulled up a story that you wrote for Complex in 2017. Um, again, I had no idea you were into sneakers at all. You talked about how uh, you wrote about the legacy of MJ Sneakers while he was with the Wizards. Um, obviously, this documentary didn't touch on his Wizards year, but I would love to hear you talk about, um, you know, that article and your thoughts on his sneaker run uh, with Washington.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, it was interesting because the shoes that came in between, you know, the 15 and the 16 specifically, they launched in Bulls colors, they they kind of, you know, they were worn by guys in the NBA, most famously, I guess, Reggie Miller and, and uh, Ray Allen with the 15 and then. Ray Allen, Michael Finley, uh, Darius Miles with the 16. But they essentially just launched the way they would have had Michael still been playing. So then for the 17 and the 18, you had Michael playing again. And I think, you know, that added something. Even though it was Mike as a wizard and he's in an unfamiliar jersey, it's still Michael Jordan wearing an Air Jordan on the court, which gave them a cachet that those prior two models didn't have. And I think as we get further away from Mike's Wizards career, I think we've kind of come to appreciate it more. It's like, yeah, he wasn't the Michael Jordan of the Bulls. He wasn't going out and scoring 40 every night and like destroying people just on a whim. But dude average like decent all-star level numbers as a 39 and 40-year-old. He still went out and had the occasional 40 and 50-point game. Like, I think there should be still – an appreciation, not only for what those shoes were, but for, for what Michael was able to do in them, you know, in the, in the last dance, we obviously got no mention of the fact that he ever came back. You know, if you, if you watched this series and you didn't know anything about Michael Jordan, you would have thought, okay, he retired and that was it. It was all done. That last shot against uh, Brian Russell was it, but uh, yeah there was another chapter there was another epilogue and uh i think it's cool to actually look back on that time when he wore team shoes too he wore the what was it, the jordan fbi that had like a big rubber band around it you know like it's interesting to look back at that stuff now
1: yeah do you think they would be successful um if they hit the retro cycle some of those sneakers cuz you talked about earlier about, you know, the storytelling and, and how cool Michael looked in these shoes. Obviously, with the Wizards, they didn't make the playoffs in their two years, and there's really not, maybe except for, like, you know, his final game and things like that, there's not really cool moments um, that you could tie to some of those sneakers. Do you think that would be a detriment of, of, you know, if they were to think about retroing some
0: of those sneakers? I mean, I think some have done well. You know, I, th- I think the 17, like the one with the gator on the back, like that 17 plus and, and the 17 low, the lightning one. And and it's funny with that because the most famous Jordan moment in that shoe was him missing a wide open dunk in the all-star game. And, you know, it didn't seem to affect that any, I, I think like, especially given where Jordan brand is now, they can build stories out of those things if they really want to, you know, and obviously given their web presence and phone presence and everything else, like you can find ways to make those shoes resonate. Plus, for for the people who barely remember Mike's playing career, they're more likely to remember him as a wizard than they are as a bull. So, you know, I think you are going to find, as time goes on, people who are actually nostalgic for even that era of Mike.
1: So, so you're saying he should take all his Wizards era shoes and just uh, slap the Virgil um, off white? Label on them is that what you're saying, Russ?
0: I I, I don't know. I can can see you visibly getting angry on on Zoom already. That's that's when I take it personal. (laughs) That's when it became personal for me. Yeah, when when he
1: slapped the the, uh, the, the, uh, when he slapped the Nike Oregon address on the side of my sneakers. That's that's (laughs) when I took. Since um since everyone listening to this episode are uh, thirteen year old resellers, you know, post like Jordan fourteen models is there a particular model you think you know people should kind of go after now that might be a market inefficiency in terms of a sneaker that's a little bit slept on a jordan model
0: that's a little bit underrated that people don't talk about that's a good question post 14 i mean you know i I, like i said I i think things are gonna sort of trickle forward as we go it's hard to say anything about the most recent ones although i think some of those have been really good. You know, I think 31, 32, 33, 34 have all been sort of interesting in their own way. Obviously, 34 in particular, I think we you know, fi- they're finally building to that post-Mike, you know, they can get identified by other players where beyond Dwayne Wade and, and guys like that now too. I don't know. I, I think those in-between models are interesting still. The, the, the 15 was not a favorite for me. But you know, the sixteen with the shroud, the seventeen with the 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 briefcase was certainly an interesting model. You know, I, I don't know. I, I think we'll we'll revisit some of those. I think some were maybe a little too experimental, whether it was the 2010 with the big porthole in the side or you know, when they got into the whole replaceable cushioning and replaceable midsoles, like they, they, it, it almost got to be too much. But I think even some of those curiosities will be interesting to look back on later. Okay, so everyone go buy a full-size run of the Jordan 16s uh,
1: <laughs> based on Russ's advice. And if you have any issues, just hit them up.
0: Hey, hey, yeah, I'll, I'll give out Alex's email address later. <laughs> um, yeah, uh,
1: you know, I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to add to to this sneaker recap episode of The Last Dance before we wrap up.
0: No, not really. I mean, again, it it was fun to to sort of watch the whole array run across the screen. And, like, you know, it's sort of something that's been relatively – was relatively unique with Jordan and remains so, where it's like you could actually name what season he was in just by looking at his feet. You know, I think it was something that happened for other guys later, whether it was Penny Hardaway or – um, or Kobe or anyone like that. But it didn't last long because then retro happened and all of a sudden it's like everyone's wearing everything. So, you know, it kind of becomes impossible again. With Jordan, at least you knew, okay, he's going to wear whatever the previous year's shoe was basically through the playoffs and all-star when he changes into the new shoe. And you're going to get it for the year from basically from all-star to all-star. He's going to wear the black version in the playoffs. And you could just figure it all out, you know, which which was sort of a great thing as uniforms didn't really change.
1: Yeah, so that does it for us for this episode. And as Russ mentioned at the top, this is season two of our podcast, even though The Last Dance has finished airing. We are going to dive into different parts about the Bulls and the post-Last Dance careers of, of guys like Michael, Scotty, Dennis, Phil, and other fun things. So you can find After the Last Dance and all the episodes on iTunes, Spotify, and any other platforms that you use to listen to podcasts. And just want to give a shout out to Soul Savvy for not breaking us up too early basically (laughs) consider season two of this podcast as a audio uh equivalent of what if the 99 chicago bulls went for a seventh championship Mm. Um, would that be fair russ
0: yeah what if what if jerry Reinsdorf was successful in convincing phil jackson and michael jordan to stay on for one more year yeah,
1: yeah uh, this this right. is the uh, podcast version of it. So make sure you subscribe and stay tuned. We'll have episodes weekly on our, your feed and we will catch you on the next
0: episode. The sneaker game is tough if you're in it alone. Getting the latest pair of hype sneakers is becoming increasingly difficult these days. As soon as you try to purchase, the shoe is out of stock. If you want to improve your skills, you need to learn the tricks of the trade. Be smart and get equipped with the right
1: tools and information you need to help you cop the sneakers you want. Soul Savvy, the exclusive sneaker community.